Philippians chapter 2. We're finally uh, in a different chapter. Uh, It took us five weeks, but we are there. And um, I want to start off by asking you this question. What do you do when somebody comes to you and they say, I need to talk to you about something? Ever heard that question? I need to talk to you about something. And, and, And honestly... When we, when we think somebody asks us that question, many of us immediately think to ourselves, what have I done wrong? What have I done wrong? You are uh, afraid that an accusation may, is about to take place, uh, maybe afraid that you've done something wrong. Others may be oblivious to that because we think we could never do wrong. Uh, or be wrong, and then there is a, a, another group who respond to that question and immediately think, this is going to be good. You know, I, I'm going to think positively about this. This conversation is going to go great. You have the mindset that something great is about to happen. And I'm sure throughout your life that question has been asked to you at some point or another. So I'm going to ask you, I need to talk to you about something. And uh, this morning, what we're going to do, we're going to talk about something. And I I think I've been able to learn over time with this passage that we're going to be reading of Philippians 2, 1 through 4. um, It's become more clear and and, uh, honestly more real to me than ever before. Back in in Honduras, I told you I was going to keep telling you stories every week as I was uh, just praying over uh, the book of Philippians. And and if this is really where God wanted me to start preaching from on Sunday mornings, I really cried out to God while I was there. And I said, God, if you want me to preach this book, I want you to start showing me what these verses really do mean. Because if I'm going to preach something verse by verse, I I want to really soak it in. I I want to be unified in my thoughts. I I want you to give me fresh thoughts uh, for the church. Uh, Be unified in one mind, in one spirit, in one accord. And and just look to be on mission. And then I look in chapter 2 and I read all of those words that I was crying out to God about being in one accord and and one spirit and and one mind. I asked God to uh, really convict my heart uh, of of Paul's words first and give me a really disconvincing or disconvicting reality of what we might would preach. I, I asked him to show me areas of my life that needed to be touched up, areas of my life that needed to be addressed to be that better, that better pastor, the better leader, the better father, the better husband. And in his faithfulness, and, and five weeks later, I believe God is starting to answer some of those requests that I prayed. Uh, just this past week, I had a few of you reach out to me and say, Pastor, your, your preaching uh, is really inspiring me. This is what I did today. Uh, Pastor, I, I, I'm, I'm reading the Bible again. Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm learning to pray again. I, I'm hearing those things from our congregation over the last few weeks. And, and, and I love that. You know, God, God is teaching us. He's teaching me that if we value unity and we live valuing unity, then when the situation arises that somebody comes up to us and says, hey, I need to talk to you about something, we're going to react differently, we're going to react more positively, and that lesson is going to come straight through this passage. My prayer today is that we will all want and desire unity, and we will value unity 
as a church. Last week, we, we ended chapter 1, and uh, we, we saw the, the call to the Philippian church to, to be in one spirit, to be in one mind as they uh, faced this persecution on the outside, knowing that persecution seemed to scatter and isolate. So today, what we're going to do is uh, talk about this thing called shatterproofing the church. Uh, shatterproofing the church. In other words, letting um, uh, letting our unity and the conflict that may come, not letting that shatter the church. Because when we talked about scatterproofing last week, in, in other words, let unity and Jesus hold the bond together. We, we talked about being held together in the bond in the midst of adversity and trouble from the outside. And as we look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we're going to see where uh, this call that, that Paul wants to, to make to the church at Philippi to be the shatterproof body of believers. But what does that mean? We, we don't want to, to let conflict, we don't want to let disagreement within the church shatter the unity that is ours in Christ. Paul introduces this call with a very interesting appeal. Let's look at verse 1 of, of chapter 2. Paul says these words, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. We're going to stop there for a moment. When, when Paul starts this, this whole uh, little list here, okay, he's using that word if, not as he's not sure that these things really exist. That's not what he's trying to do at all. He's using the word if as a certainty that points to the main idea. Okay, He's saying because we know that there is encouragement in Christ, Christ has loved us with this unconditional and this un or this this sacrificial love. This this provides deep encouragement in the hearts. Okay? It should open us up to to love others just as Jesus loved others. Paul says, "Let the reality of this love motivate you." There's encouragement in Christ because there is comfort and there is love. Let Christ's love overwhelm you. Let my love be a stimulus in your life, Paul says. Let it be first. There is comfort in knowing that somebody loves you and cares for you, is there not? It, it, is, it would be a, 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 bad, a bad way to wake up if you knew you wake up every morning and your wife or your husband really didn't love you. And you lived with them, right? It, it would be a, a hard reality if you walked into the church and the church didn't really love you. It, it would be a hard thing to see if your kids were not treated with love. There is comfort in knowing that somebody loves you. Let it be this uh, persuasive power in our lives to live that out because we are in one spirit we are linked to the one holy spirit there's only one you know he he accepts us all uh, he is active in us all as believers don't be more selective than the spirit is hey let let it motivate you towards one another let the security that you have in Christ that salvation that you have let it be secure in you that it will flow out into others. Paul says, let it motivate you. 
the relationship that, that you had with me, you can have with others. He tells the church at Philippi. Oh, you don't have to be different. You don't have to, to put a different face on. Just, just love like you loved me. That's how I want you to, to love others. Hey, the same way that you love everybody in here is the same way we should love everybody in the community, no matter who they are. Keep loving, keep doing, Paul says. Complete my joy, Paul says. Why does Paul start that way in chapter 2? Some, some would look at this as a disturbing appeal. No, a, a major introduction here. It, it's simply that, that Paul wants the brothers and sisters in Philippi to be unified with one another. He wants them to value unity in their walk with each other. Uh, to, uh, to, to value unity in their church, in their congregation with one another. And if we are tightly knit at the home base, and we are bonded together like we preached last week, then as we reach out with the gospel, people are absolutely going to see that. That's what Paul's wanting for Philippi. Paul wants them to strive for good relationships right in the face of personal differences. He, he wants them to be bonded together, not shattered into a thousand pieces. Just as outside differences can, can cause conflict, I am sure in your life, there has been conflict to rise in your families, uh, in your homes, in your workplaces. Conflict is all around us. But although those outside differences can cause the conflict, the inside conflict and things happening from within the body can cause things just to shatter. It can cause things to, to crumble even in the midst while others are still trying to be on mission. Hey, it, it takes the whole body to be on mission together. And if the whole body is not on mission together, then eventually the mission will grow smaller and smaller and smaller. That's why Paul makes this call. He says, I want you all, 100% of you, to be on mission. And if you all work towards this, then you're going to shatterproof your church. I think that's important. Now, I'm not saying that every time the church doors are open, 100% of you have to be here. I'm just saying 100% of us need to be on mission together for what Christ has called the church to do. Believe in what we're doing. Believe in the ministry that we are doing. Believe in the Bible studies that we are doing and activate yourself within. This time we're going to look at verse 1, but we're going to add verse 2 this time. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, verse 2, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Our, our first point this morning is going to be this. We should love in unity. We should love in unity. What do I mean by that? Complete acceptance. Complete acceptance. Clearly, this is a call to church unity. Shouldn't the word church always imply unity, though? Like, shouldn't, shouldn't we always imply the word unity when we think about the church? Like, we're, we're close together. We're all one person, one base. That's what Paul's calling them to do. He's saying, have this love. 
this one unified love, have the same love towards one another that you have with the love of Christ. The same love you experienced when you got saved is the same love that we should be pouring into other people. There should be no disparity on how we have been loved and how we should love. Because of the love of God, the Father, sending His Son Jesus to die for us, it gave us a complete acceptance through Jesus. When you got saved, I hope you remember that day. I pray you remember that day. That you felt completely accepted through Jesus Christ. Nothing was held against you. There was no questions asked by God. When you turn to the Father and you run to the Father to be loved by Him, that's the kind of love relationships we have to strive to have. The same love we receive by Jesus is the same love that we should freely be giving out. We can offer this same kind of love, but we have to do it in Christ. In His name. Not our name, because we fail every day. Thomas's name fails. Okay, Cross Life's name can fail, but Christ does not fail. In His name, we can't go wrong. One, one deep bond that is bound together in love and one accord. And that statement, one accord, means to be together. To be together in soul. So the first slide I want us to see this morning, other than the love and unity, is one accord equals togetherness. We're going to break this down a little bit. Think about it for a moment. People together in soul like to hang out. They, they, they like to go to... The movies together. Our ladies went to the movies last night together. They were doing life together. They, they went out to dinner together. Hey, people, people in unity and togetherness work on projects like the fellowship hall together. Uh, it brings unity. But Paul's taking this a step further. Maybe you go on vacation together. I don't know. Paul's taking it a step further. He's, he's not talking about this superficial level like that, I don't think. What he's saying is be soulmates at the point of the deepest connection, at the core. Understand that, that we are connected and at the deepest and tightest bond because of what we share in Christ. When we search people out in the church, we don't look for people that we click with. I hope not. In the church, in the body of Christ, in the congregation, we are bound together by His love. Therefore, everyone should be loved as He loves. It goes back to verse 1 here. One accord, one spirit, one mind. Let's talk about the one spirit for a moment. The one spirit is going to equal relationships. So you've got the togetherness of the one accord, the one spirit's relationships. We have one spirit through the relationships that we have. Relationships matter. Hey, the, the, the relationship we have with God should really pour out in the relationships we have with other people. When we are in one spirit, our relationship will never falter. This is exactly what the text is saying. Paul is saying, be together and learn to do life together. Don't run in the opposite directions during the week, but stay together during the week. Don't just talk to each other on Sunday mornings, but continually contact and commune with one another. That's one reason why we have the, the private Facebook page of a church. 
And so we can stay in communication with one another. We can voice prayer concerns. We can uh, put praises out there. The way to build a healthy church is by doing it together. Doing life together, doing church together. Be focused on the same thing, not running in five different directions. Be focused, which is really the theme for the year. If you don't, uh, if you don't remember that, focus your thoughts and your minds and your hearts to be together and stay together. Let's talk about one mind. One mind equals focus. We've talked about focus a lot uh, through messages, through uh, our, our theme for the year. But isn't that interesting, though, if we are focused on the gospel, if we are focused on meditating on the gospel, and we're thinking about who we are without Christ and who we are in Christ, if we're each thinking about that, it will do nothing but drive us together as a church because we come from the same place. When our minds are one accord, one spirit, we're focusing on the same thing. If our minds is always camping out on something someone else has done wrong, or we're always focused on what happened two or three or, or maybe even six months ago, then the relationship will never be drawn together. It's the same thing in the workplace, in any area of life that you can think about. If somebody wants to dwell on the one wrong thing, but not look at the 99 things that you're doing right, they are not a person that is in one accord and in one mind. And I'm having to learn that myself. But when we are of one mind, and we are running to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we are lingering together, it will defeat all differences, and it will draw us together. One love, one mind, one accord. When you put all of that together, and you can understand it, that we can be together in soul and be focusing on the same thing, the wheels start turning in the right direction. Have you ever been on a paddle boat with somebody? Or maybe, uh, have you ever seen those dragon boats that they do? And they've got their, their oars, I guess they call it, is it oars that they got? And, and you've got to go in one direction. And if you don't, then you're not going to win the race. We've got to put the oars in the right direction together in unison. And when we do that, it's going to be a beautiful thing. When all the ministries of the church line up together, to be focused on the same thing. It's going to create this perfect line. It's just going to pour out and spread like a wildfire in the community. But we have to do it together. I'm talking kid ministry. I'm talking youth ministry. I'm talking men's and ladies. Uh, I'm talking uh, groups that haven't even been started yet. I'm talking all adults. Like if we can run together in the same race and finish at the same time, things can get accomplished. Um, I've been talking to, to several pastors and uh, had the opportunity the last two Fridays to uh, to pray with some pastors. And, and this week we, we, we had nine pastors that came out and prayed. And we're trying to get in one mind and one spirit and one accord. And what we're seeing is that when we're in one spirit and one accord, we, we, don't, we don't really care what's going on at the individual church. 
Okay, what we care about is what, what the outreach looks like. And we had, a, we had a local church just yesterday. They knocked on 200 doors uh, in, in, in the 28146 area code yesterday. And, and me and that pastor, and, and we, we've been praying for, for several weeks now that God would allow our churches to come together to see every household in 28146 reached for the gospel. It's like 11,000 households. 12,000 households, something like 26,000 people. And we know that's a, a huge undertaking when, when you think about it. But we have resources that, that we can use. Uh, we have invite cards that we can use. We have vacation Bible school coming up. And I don't know if, like, if you remember in the early days of the church, uh, of Cross Life, uh, for, for probably a year straight, me and Tiff and Riley would go out in Spencer and we would knock on doors every Saturday morning. Uh, that was the way that we really uh, had to start the church. That's where we met Joe Hawkins at, was knocking on the door. Um, Joe was connected to the First Baptist Church of Spencer. We hadn't seen Joe, but we knocked on his door and met Joe. Joe, I don't know if you remember that, but, we, but that's how we met him. And he started coming to church, and I don't think Joe's missed two or three Sundays <laughs> since he started coming. The value of a knocking on a door. Uh, some of our people at that time, we were only like a group of 12. We were like the 12 disciples. Uh, we, we started knocking together, and we started being in one accord and one unity. A door hanger is what got Jeff and Dion in the church. It was door-to-door ministry. And so it works. There's power in it. And so we believe that as churches in 28146, we can do just that if our churches would be together. And we would get in one mind, and we would get in one spirit, and we would get in one accord. But it's also, when I think about all of this, it's awesome to run into people that have the same personality as you as well, isn't it? It's hard to get along with people that don't really have the same personality. You can do it. It's just harder to get into the conversations, the likes and the dislikes, and, and understand what Paul is going uh, here. He's, he's going much further with that love, though. Okay, Paul, Paul wants them connected at a deeper place. He's like, look, I'm not worried about what candy they like. I ain't worried about what their favorite soft drink is. I want them connected by the call God has placed on their life. And when we can connect it to the call that God has placed on their life, you can have some differences and still get along. Because at, at the end of the day, your conversation is going to be pointed in Jesus, connected by the ministries that we do together. That is what defines us. Having a favorite style of music doesn't define you. Not having a, a favorite coffee or not drinking coffee doesn't define you. Whether you like hot tea or cold tea, I don't, I don't like hot tea, but if you do, then, then no judging there. It doesn't define you. It may be fun to go places and do things together, but it's also fun to commune with people that are different than we are at the very core because those people are living their lives on mission because they are defined in Jesus Christ. We've got to define ourselves in Christ, and when we define ourselves in Christ, the rest of the stuff really doesn't matter. Okay, look, if I've got, if I got a group of people that like M&Ms and Skittles, guess what? I'm going to the store and buying both, and you're going to have them at your meetings. Okay? If you would rather have the orange nabs or, or a, round, a, a cookie that is round, we're going to have both. We're going to have both. 
I don't care if you like Lance or you like the other brand. I don't even know what the other brand is because all I buy is Lance. It doesn't define you. What defines you is Jesus Christ. That's the wonderful thing about being on mission together with the gospel. Unfortunately, though, it wasn't the case in Philippi. It wasn't the case with the church. Let's, let's look at the reality of what's going on here. With, with dealing with the reality, Paul goes into verses 3 and 4. He says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So not only can we see love and unity, but we need, number two this morning, to love in selflessness. To love in selflessness. He goes on with these contrasts, rivalry, uh, selfish ambition, conceit, looking out for myself. And I've got to, to stop for a moment, remind us that, that, that we have to look at the overall context here which we're reading these verses, we, we are talking about the church where Paul has already said all the way through chapter 1, and we've already seen how Paul has emphasized the need for partnering together in the gospel. In verse 3 of chapter 1, he's saying this, I thank my God for my remembrance of you because of your partnership with the gospel with me. They are together on mission and eager to get the gospel out to those who have not heard, those who do not understand yet. They, they want to make disciples. Their hearts are in the right place. They're, they're giving of their time. Uh, they're giving of their resources to make things happen. Some of you this week, you gave of your time to serve with the Fellowship Hall Project. You gave in your time uh, through maybe inviting somebody to church. You, you gave through that uh, experience. And, and, and many of us will do that. Hey, we, we try, we strive. Now, sometimes it doesn't produce results the next Sunday. It doesn't work that way sometimes. Uh, I've, I've seen uh, our church knock on hundreds of doors, and the next Sunday nobody shows up, but it doesn't mean we haven't made an impact. And we can't, we can't wire our minds to think that just because it didn't produce a result in that time doesn't mean we didn't produce any kind of result. Let God work. They, they, they wanted to make disciples. They wanted to give up those resources. Listen, church, the disciples aren't made just on a Sunday morning format. Disciples are not made by just giving up an hour or two for a Sunday experience. Disciples are made when we give of our time and we invest in one another and maybe those that we don't know yet. We, we can't be on mission if we are dragged down by the weekly schedule. Hey, I, I know what it's like. Uh, man, we could, we could have Riley in something every night of the week, but our schedule just doesn't allow for it. I don't want my schedule so consumed that God's nowhere in it. He, he doesn't want us just to, to find time to serve Him. Me and Tiff talked about that this week a lot. Um, because she's she's getting out for the summer and she's going to be home some and uh, we're trying to find some time to spend together as a family but I also want us to spend time together as a family to do some mission projects as a family as well 
We want to find time to study. Uh, we want to find time to be together and to love people together. He wants us to, to make it a part of our lifestyle and, and daily living. It's okay if you uh, go to the ball game or, or you go uh, out to a restaurant, but you can do that and make that your lifestyle and your daily living by being on mission together in Christ. You can still make that work. Make it a part of the DNA of your family to serve Jesus together and to be on mission together. Paul says, don't be doing things from rivalry. Don't be doing things from conceit. Don't just be worried about yourself. Let's explore that for a moment. What does rivalry really mean? I call it in-house competing. An in-house rivalry is an insecurity. I'm not referring to what we see as a sports rivalry. We know what the best sports rivalry is in sports. It's Duke and Carolina, by the way. Uh, where people are on two different teams. Uh, I, I want to refer to the players on the same teams trying to, to beat each other. Have you ever seen that before? You know, you, you've, got, you've got these two all-star players. Maybe you've seen it in a baseball game, a basketball game, or whatever. They've got these two all-star players, and they want to score all the points. Uh, they don't want to pass up the ball. They want to try to get all the outs themselves. That can be frustrating, can it not? I've been on some teams like that. I've been coach of a teams like that. The one that, that always wants to win but never just wants to be the contributor to the team. Uh, I've been a part of meetings where a group will talk about all that is going on and make it, make it look like other groups look bad because of all the things they've got going on. They've had more success and, and it's taken negatively when really that shouldn't matter at all because we're on the same team as a church. When one team celebrates, we should all celebrate. When one team is winning, we're all winning. It isn't about is the, is the kids doing better than the youth or the, the men doing better than the ladies or the ladies doing better than the men. It isn't about what group is most fruitful. We should be striving to be fruitful and multiply within. And if those things bring about rivalry, then I would call that insecurity because that person or that group has to always feel like they're the best and that they're the ones that are winning. That because of their success, that's why the church grows. Have you ever heard that before? The second thing I want us to look at is, is, is this thing called billboard building. Billboard building is pride. Insecurity is poison in, in relationship. It builds roadblocks in the church. Paul says, do nothing from rivalry or selfish ambition. What is this selfish ambition or empty conceit, as others, uh, other your translations may say, exactly mean? It's like this company that has many different managers taking out different billboards on I-85 to market their business, but those individual managers have to have their face on the board to be seen, when in all reality, it's all the same business. And one billboard is enough. They, they want their face on it so they can be reflected in the community, that they are the face of the company. What does this draw for people? It, it, it draws self-gain, running for the spotlight, racing to get there first, having to be involved in every little group, not letting other people be involved. 
the person that wants to lead every little thing. These kind of people want to, to maybe soak the attention. It's been said before to me in ministry, we are going to present this idea because if we go this way and so-and-so is on board, this thing will pass. <laughs> it's not the right way to get business done. I, I'm so thankful we don't have that in our church. The only way to get business done in the Lord's house is through God and His will, not man's agenda and not for self-gain. Really what, what Paul is comparing this to be is this huge head filled with a bunch of air. A feeling of being so big, but really there is nothing there other than the wrong motive of self. That's what Paul's talking about. It's empty. And the thing is that that, that word is rooted in pride. Billboard building is not the way to go about being on mission because it results in pride. When pride is present, there's only room for one. When pride overtakes the relationship, there's only room for that person because in the end, none of the rest ultimately matters. It's wrong. It's a sin. And so what Paul does here is he, he goes after the elephant in the room. Evidently, there is something going on in the church at Philippi for him to bring these things up. He's not just going to write these words and not have a reason for it. And so he's saying, in the elephant in the room, he says this, do nothing out of rivalry. Do nothing out of self-gain or selfish ambition or conceit. Don't let the insecurity and the pride keep you from the interpersonal relationship. Then in verse 4, he turns and he says this, don't, don't be looking out for your own interests. It's like, that person at the snack bar or the food line. That everybody goes through the food line and he goes back and he piles the plate because everybody got their food supposedly, but then five people come in behind him and they didn't get to eat because you piled the plate. So we're going to call piling the plate selfishness. We're not thinking about the people around us. Maybe the people that need to eat too. It's not, it's not that they don't care. If they were confronted, they'd probably be very, very uh, sad. They'd feel horrible about it. But it's looking out for their own interests before looking out for other people. That's what Paul's saying. Don't, don't be grabbing the ball and putting it onto your own plate without any awareness of the people around you and what their needs are. The bottom line is this, the selfishness being absorbed in self. But on the other end, there's a chance for true, authentic relationship. What we're learning from this passage is that believers can link arms together in ministry. It can be unified in wanting to advance the gospel and still be vulnerable to these destructive forces and relationships. When God's people are self-protected, self-promoting, self-absorbed, what they're doing is shattering the church. They aren't promoting the church. They may think they're promoting the church, but they're promoting self, and God cannot and will not bless that. Paul's not just promoting a, uh, a potential problem here, though. He's not just giving them this warning. He's actually pointing them towards a specific situation. He calls them by name. If you go to chapter 4, and we're going to get there in, in a few weeks, uh, verses 2 and 3, we can take a glimpse 
And it's obviously a setup for dealing with this specific situation that he's going to hit on within the church. He says this, I implore Judea and I implore Sintich to be the same in the mind of the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. I know I just, just messed up those words terribly, but that's not the point. <laughs> okay? Look at this. They're leaders, faithful workers in the gospel ministry, partners. But yet Paul is saying to them, Help them agree in the Lord. Be of one mind. We're going to call it Edna and Cindy. Be of one mind, Edna and Cindy. Edna, where did I come up with Edna? (laughs) What's interesting here is Paul isn't demanding that they go one way or the other. Hey, we don't have an Edna, do we? (laughs) We got a Cindy at least. It's the only E I could think of. Uh, he's reminding them that they're together. He helped them agree that they are one to be reminded that the Lord has been gracious to each of them. He's saying, present this harmony. It's furthering the cause of Christ. Instead, it's pushing it further away. And we can apply that to our setting today. If there is disharmony, if there is a, a discord being sown at any point of time, It does nothing but push away the furtherance of the gospel. We have to be one. We have to be one. Because it was open in the church, Paul dealt with it specifically, and he did it out of love. He's saying it doesn't have to be like this. Church, it doesn't have to be like this. Even though there there is a difference in opinion, it doesn't have to be this way. There's an alternative. Back in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 of Philippians, where we are today, he says, count others to be more significant than yourself. In in verse 4, he says, look to the interests of others. Now, Paul is getting very practical at this point. He's like, if you want me to live out this bond, that we talked about last week, if you want to live out this bond that we have together in Christ, then count others as more significant than yourself. The word count means you, you view as, you, you value, you uh, count others more significant. You, you can make the decision to view it this way, but it starts with being humble and to let others be more important than us. Even if you are more knowledgeable. Uh, even even if you are more gifted, even if you may have better ideas or you have more resources, you can still consider the other person more significant than self. It's called being humble. It is a, a choice in the mind to rewire our brain that way. It, it's not a let's assess the situation and let's see who's more valuable. We're going to take a hundred question survey to see who's more valuable today. It's It's to say, you know what? I want you to be more valuable than me. I want to look at you more valuable than me because that's what Christ does. And the thing is, if you look at him more valuable than you, then he's probably going to be the same way if all of our minds are wired the same way. He's going to be like, no, man, you're you're more valuable than I am. I can never be like you. He considered us when we didn't even deserve it, and that's what we see in the crucifixion on the cross. It's a, a perfect correlation 
We need to see we can learn from others, that, and they will continue to, uh, to make us all even better. Look out for the interest of others, calling us to, to look to, to notice to, to attend to others. Looking to them, stepping on through my needs and my interests, but looking to what others need and others have interest in. Asking the question, what are they going through? What are they working on? What is motivating them? What is she seeing? Learning how we can attend to that. And what I'm learning and working on is not going into the room and talking. And, and you'll see this. Uh, men may, may have seen this since I've been back from Honduras. I'm very quiet in Bible study right now. Because what I'm doing is I'm sitting back and I am looking. And instead, what I'm doing is I'm listening to the things that are going on around me. Letting others voice things for themselves. Letting others drive the conversation for, 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 the, for the group. What, what this does is help us look towards the needs of others. And I think what Paul is seeing, this, this rivalry, this conceit, this uh, selfishness, can seem more natural and even more maybe expected than the alternative, which is the Christian alternative, and seeing other people more significant and looking towards the interests of others. It's what he's calling us to do. Humility is key. I want to give us an example. When I was a, a youth and children's pastor, I used to teach this passage to youth quite a bit. This is, this is really one of the passages I would use when I would preach at youth retreats or I would be invited to go speak to a group. And this is what I would tell them. In humility, Paul is saying, have this lowliness of mind. This is, this is something like Paul must have invented because you don't hear those words again in Scripture. Lowliness of mind. Paul uses it regularly, though. And it's really the only place you see that kind of wording. In your mind, in the way you think, put it in a lower place. And, and we, in our language, and in our Bibles, we call it humility. Paul is saying, put yourself in the low place and let that become priority. He's saying, take the back seat and let the interest of others take the front seat. And this is what I would tell our kids. If you want to be a humble person, then you've got to crawl underneath your chair. And we're not going to do that this morning because that would be really weird. But pack yourselves like sardines underneath the pew. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to sit under the chair. But that's what it takes to be humble, to be a person of humility. And this is the other thing. He, he's, he's talking about selfishness. When we think about selfishness, I would tell them it's pushing your way to the top. And I would have them stand in the chair. And I would say, when you are selfish, you're pushing yourself up. You're trying to get as high as you can get so everybody can see you. And I would ask them, which one's better? And, of course, they would say, standing in the chair. And then I would explain to them, humility takes a lot of work. To get under the pew this morning, it might would take some work. But once you're there and you see things around you, you're not going to want to get out of it. Humility can be awkward. It can be uncomfortable. It can be difficult. But according to Paul, being under the pew, packed in like sardines, is the better way. Letting others be the spotlight.
from the Christian perspective, from the church perspective, humility is the call that God is giving us. Remember a few weeks ago when we said we, we don't want to be nose to nose with people, we want to be side to side with people, locking arms, doing life together, being on mission with each other, seeking to share Christ with others, advancing God's kingdom together. That's the way it's got to be. We can't just stay in one spot and be mobile. We're going to be immobilized if we do that. The idea is I take the low place for the sake of unity so that we can lock arms together again and we can move forward together on mission. When disagreements arise, when things aren't going your way, it's not go out the door and I'm never going to talk to that person again. It's I'm going to come back next week and figure out how I can work out the differences. And I'm having to learn that. When somebody comes up to me and says, hey, I need to talk to you about something, I'm trying to rewire my mind not to think negatively in that situation. I get messages all the time. Hey, when you have a chance, can you call me? Great. Hey, when you have a moment, can you come to the church? I need to talk to you. Hey, could you stop by my house? Those are, that's, that's at least a once-a-week message for me, if I'm honest. And I'm trying to rewire my mind to say, okay, this isn't going to be a bad conversation. God's doing great things. What could possibly be going wrong? What, what negative attitude could possibly be coming out after three great weeks of worship in the church? That's what goes through my mind. But I also have to understand we're humans. And look, I, I've been in the church before that argued for six months over what color the carpet was going to be. I've been there before. Some things just don't matter. <laughs> like we don't want it. We don't want it ugly, you know. We, we want it matching, but it ain't worth the six month argument in, in meetings for. I've been there. I've been in family meetings, hey, okay, where one thing is said and and the brother blows up. <laughs> Have you been there before? But when we rewire our minds to think positive things and to lock our minds on the good things, just because it's not getting right in your mind 100% of the time doesn't mean that it's not their heart for it to be right. I, what I'm trying to see now is when people say, hey, I need to talk to you about something, it's like there's just a miscommunication and we gotta, we got to get the hearts right. We got to get the hearts connected. My heart, their heart, family heart, whatever it is. Get it connected. It isn't about you. It's not about me. It's not, it's not about what we both can do on, on opposite ends of the spectrum. It's about what we can do together. And when we value each other in that way, the gospel can advance. We've talked about it. When we accomplish that, we know that God will bless us with one love, with one accord, with one mind. So with this picture in mind, let's move to the application of today and let's look at the call. The call to one love, to one accord, and to one mind. The call is this, to value and strive for selfless relationships within the church for the sake of advancing the gospel. That's our call today. That's our invitation today. To value and strive to have selfless relationships within the church. That every person is valued. 
No matter if they've only been here for a few weeks or if they've been here for several years. We want to value those relationships so we can together advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the call is pretty simple on paper, but it's difficult to do. It takes effort. It's going to value and strive to have selfless relationships. It's not about me. That it's not about you. It's going to happen within the church, within the body of believers. That will be a better gospel influence in the church. And if we go back to the start of our passage for today, we can see this stirring call, not just for the Philippian body of believers, but for all of us. Because Christ has loved us with this unconditional love, with this uh, full acceptance for him that opens the way for us to be able to do the same to others. There's motivation in that love. We're locked together. We're locked together with the same Holy Spirit, the same God, the same Jesus. And the beautiful thing about that is He locks us all together. Benny, come here for a moment. He, I want to show you something. We, we, we've done something similar to this before, but He activates us all. And we come together in one accord without being selected. Taylor, you come too. I want you all to stand in front of that communion table. I want you to see what happens when we lock arms together. Now, Benny and Taylor are married. I think still. <laughs> They're married. And they they decided when they got married, they would link arms together and be on mission together. Well then, Bruce and Jennifer, come here. Bruce and Jennifer gained a relationship with Benny and Taylor and they locked arms together. And when they locked arms together, the force became stronger, right? Like, four is better than two. One is better than four. John and Kathy, come here. You got to get up this time, John. Sorry, Kathy. John and Kathy came. <laughs> John and Kathy were married. They, they got together, and the four became six, and the, and the group became stronger. Terry and Rick, y'all come here. Terry and Rick have a passion to serve the Lord through missions. We needed them. We needed them on the team. God didn't know, or they didn't know what God was going to do with them at, at Cross Life. And so they, lock, they locked arms with Cross Life Church to become one unit. And it becomes bigger and bigger. Billy Jean and Jean, y'all come on up. Billy Jean and Jean came and, and they wanted to lock arms with Bruce and Jennifer. I think I think actually they're really good friends today. And, and we praise God for relationships and building. And when we link arms together, Mitch and Karen and Dana, y'all come on. Jeanette and Max, y'all come on. Joe and Dory, y'all come. Brent and Cindy, Kevin and Kelly, all y'all all come. Everybody come. Everybody come and lock arms. I want you to see what happens when we lock arms together and we're one unit in one mind, in one spirit, in one accord. We become this huge body that is unstoppable, that's unmovable. Sorry, Bridget, I didn't think about that today. <laughs> this is what happens when we become 
a body of believers. And this is the thing. When we link arms together, when we link together as one, there's always room for one more person. Okay, Because we can never not lock arms. We can never stop being together. This is what togetherness looks like. You put the kids in. You put, you put the youth in. You bring them together with you. And as long as we are together, nothing can go wrong. But if one person takes their arm out, we're no longer together. And, and the next thing you know, the link is going to be shattered. Church, I'm, I'm calling us today to be a shatterproof church. Do life together. Love each other. And do it with intentional reality that God is going to do something amazing in this group of believers. Because when we come together as one and Christ is exalted, there's always room for one more person. There's always room for one more believer. There's always room for that unsaved person. There's always room for that church that needs to be loved. And we can lock arms with them and say, you know what? We are one in the body of kingdom of God, and we want you to be here with us. We should never say you can't be on the team. This is what it looks like. It's a beautiful thing to see. And what's going to be even more beautiful as the church continues to grow and continue to build, and this link gets longer and longer and longer, and before long we have to be out the door because we're linked together as one. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. God, we love you. And Lord, as right now, God, I pray we would be together as one. Lord, your word speaks of it in Philippians to be together in one spirit and one mind and in one accord. And Lord, right now, I just pray that if there is somebody here that may feel like they're disconnected, God, I pray today that it made them feel loved and cherished. Lord, I pray for every person in the next five years, the next 10 years, the next 20 years that will come into this place, that there is always room for that one person. Lord, there's always room for that lost soul. There's always room for that one child, that one youth, that one young adult, that one failing marriage that needs hope. One life at a time, God. You will build your church. You promise us that, and we believe that today. And God, right now, I just pray for you to move in this body like you've never moved before. And we can be in one mind, one spirit, and one accord. In Jesus' name, amen. That's how we're going to close the service today. Didn't plan to do it that way, but that's what happened. Uh, you can go back to your seat just for a